0: A Columbia student says she was stabbed in Grant Park, but CPD says that claim was unfounded. Then, a story from Faculty Senate, a look at Endometriosis Awareness Month, and an update on R. Kelly.
1: This like. is what Columbia looks like.
0: Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and
2: I
3: will die for this cause.
0: This is Chronicle Headlines.
3: The student was stabbed in Grant Park on March 6th around 9.50 p.m. And soon after, CPD said claims were unfounded. Columbia students were alerted late Thursday night and into Friday morning with updates on the situation. The student said a man described as black and about six feet tall wearing a green puffy jacket and blue jeans approached her from behind demanding money. After stating she did not have any, he fled with her debit card, but not before allegedly stabbing her three times in the abdomen. The student was able to walk over to 7-Eleven on 535 South State Street, where 911 was then called. She was taken via ambulance to Northwestern Memorial Hospital in stable conditions and treated for non-life-threatening injuries. The case then shifted a bit. Staff reporter Alexandra Yetter reported that public information officer for Chicago Police Department, Howard Ludwig, said after reviewing surveillance footage, the incident was unfounded and did not occur, as the student had said. Police say the student later confessed that she made it up. Ludwig said it is possible charges could be filed for falsifying a police report. Blaze is here to talk with us a little bit about some of the interviews and people that we spoke with for this story.
0: Yeah, so it's a triple byline story, and I'm not going to get any credit for writing the story because I was just speaking with people. But I think the news broke like Thursday or Friday when you mentioned, I think it was Thursday night, that this had happened. And at that time, we really didn't know much. And this story has been kind of confusing because we have the police saying that it was made up, but there's only so much that we can confirm I know one thing that when I was talking with people that immediately jumped out at them is the nature of the attack that she said happened but then now police say didn't happen because she said it was a black man 25 to 30 short hair puffy jacket like a really specific description of someone who is black and that was one of the first things that is in the report and I was talking with some students and they're like Seriously like you're going to blame it on a black person. You made this all up. You could have just said it was nobody or you didn't see him, but you pinned it on black people and you just kind of reinforced certain stereotypes because I know this is kind of a commuter school or parents at home in the suburbs may not be getting all these updates. So all they really hear is that there's a black person who stabbed someone and they may not know that it's been faked yet.
3: A lot of people are comparing this to the Jesse Smolette Um, incident, you know, has anybody touched on that?
0: Yeah, they did actually mention that. They're like, well, first Smollett and now this. Like, what are the odds that there are two kind of major... I guess not, this isn't necessarily major, but at least here at Columbia, it's like a fake police report. Now, another fake police report, and it's like, why are things being faked? What was the point of this? Now, again, we don't know too much about that specific student. Their name hasn't been released or anything like that. Um, I'm not going to speculate any more on what I've heard. But there was just all these, like, question marks, like, what was the point of this?
3: Mm -hmm. And were there any witnesses that spoke on this?
0: I don't think anyone was there when she claimed the attack happened. But I did know some people found it odd that because this happened in Grant Park at 950. And for those of you who can't picture it in your head, Grant Park to the University Center or the the 7-Eleven where um, some reports like the crime advisories from Columbia said that she went to get help. That's kind of a walk. And you would have had to have passed multiple Columbia buildings with Columbia security in them or multiple residential, not residential, multiple like restaurants where you could have gone and be like, hey, I got stabbed. Like, I need help. But that didn't happen, although, of course, because police said the report was faked.
3: So what's the buzz around Columbia with this whole situation?
0: So right after it happened, when none of the students were aware that this was faked, or at least according to police, that it was faked, uh, they were actually originally a little concerned from the people I talked to because they're like, you know, I walk alone, does that mean something's going to happen to me? Is someone going to come up and try and rob me? Am I going to get attacked? I know some people were a little suspicious of why she was walking alone at Grant Park at 950, but I've also kind of heard people like, you know, why does it matter Yeah, because Grant you're alone Park is yeah. a
3: pretty, you know, public, open space.
0: So there was kind of that back and forth, but there were some people who were afraid, and then when they heard that, it wasn't exactly what they were told. They're like, are you serious? And then the race element came in where it's like why did it have to be someone like why did you have to paint stereotype and say it was a black person and why did it have to be such a vicious attack? It just some students felt unnecessary and one student even said like this isn't fair like you can't like you can't keep doing this. You can't paint these stereotypes.
3: Mm. And did they say what her race was or was that not mentioned?
0: As far as like the the person who filed the report? Yeah. They like When it was black versus white?
3: Yeah, like, are people trying to basically say, like, that's what it is? or
0: There there were some people who went out and say, you know what, I think she's a little racist. It's a white person who, because we do know at least that for a fact. Again, we don't know much about the person. But a white person and a black person like that, like, why did it have to be like that? It didn't Mm -hmm. have to be, like, you made that happen. Whoever it was kind of made that happen.
3: Right. And is that supposed to be some type of norm, you know, like what I'm saying, like to go out and make this whole fake police report and say that, you know, this is a black male. And between the ages of 25 and 30, you know, what could have drawn somebody to just come up with that description, you know, and when tragic things like this actually happen you know maybe somebody doesn't remember all the details you know most people mm-hmm. don't remember all the details
0: yeah so we still don't know exactly what happened or why this report was filed i know we do have some more reporting in this week's episode of the or edition of the chronicle or if you pick it up that may have something but right now because uh, at the time this is recorded i'm not exactly sure
3: so is there anything else pertaining to the story that you want me to talk with you
0: about there was one final thing and this is where the confusing part comes in so i think originally there were you know these news stations picked it up and they were reporting on it and because she walked into the 7-eleven they asked 7-eleven employees like what happened and i heard some 7-eleven employees say you know like oh my gosh like she was stabbed like it was crazy and then when we sent out our reporters we got a different story i know one 7-eleven employee who was there the night that uh, the police were called was like you know she didn't look very traumatized the blood was a, like a, a bright red color it was on her leg like they were kind of throwing casting some doubt on it when they apparently this person said when the police arrived the police were kind of hesitant and were like Questioning her for about 15 minutes, I think is what the article said, before actually getting uh, an ambulance on the scene to take her to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Do
3: you know why they were questioning right away before they even checked for surveillance? For CPD? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, she claims she was stabbed in the abdomen. So when officers went to the scene, they might have been like, you know, the blood pattern's not right. Or something may not have been lining up with them, but I'm not exactly sure what happened. That would be my guess.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, we look forward to seeing the updates in the Chronicle article.
0: Yeah, and if you go to ColumbiaChronicle.com, you can find the article by Alexandra Yetter, Casey Watt, and Catherine Savage. Three reporters working on it. Over to our next story. I have staff reporter Bridget Ekis who went to faculty senate. Now, Bridget, usually faculty senate covers a range of topics. Is that the same as, uh, was that the case today?
1: Oh, yeah, most definitely.
0: So instead of parsing through literally everything, what were one or two of the biggest stories that you want to talk about right now?
1: I think the biggest story I want to talk about right now is the Higher Learning Commission's report that was read um verbatim because there were really no negative comments about columbia and And
0: the higher learning commission accredits colleges which essentially means our degrees mean something is that
1: correct and Mm -hmm. it also means that transfer students can transfer here
0: okay so when we say that they said columbia or i forget your exact wording but what did they say
1: Um, Interesting key points that the Higher Learning Commission made about Columbia is they said that Columbia commits to connecting the college with the city through our big Chicago classes Mm -hmm. for freshmen um, and incoming students. And another thing that I thought was interesting is they mentioned that the faculty were really in touch with their careers, which help students, and they said that they were relevant, which I thought was important to know that you know my faculty, which are teaching me, are relevant in their fields.
0: So, really, were there any negative comments at all?
1: Not that I noticed. Um, they we do report our enrollment to them every year, which has been in decline. So the higher learning commission asked for a longer summary about enrollment and about finances in the next 2 years but that was pretty much it
0: okay so that's something that will be coming so it essentially sounds like columbia will be accredited if i'm not mistaken we were recommended for it do you know exactly what step we are in the process
1: yeah we are accredited for the next 10 years and we're actually among the healthiest of institutions is what they said today which means that like we like if you're not of the healthiest you're going to be checked on every 2 years but we're going to like we'll continue on this path of being accredited every 10.
0: So they're they're probably not going to stop by cuz this is essentially an audit of curriculum, faculty, it's a whole look at the college. So being healthy means you're fine. We'll see you in 10 years. We trust that everything will be okay while we're gone.
1: Yeah, besides the little reports that the college has to report back to the team, such as enrollment and finances every year, that's pretty much it.
0: I know a lot of people have kind of made a stink about Columbia and are at least some people appear to be unhappy coming to Columbia. So the Higher Learning Commission, again, didn't find any problems, and we were one of the healthiest. So people who are upset, it's like, yeah, you may have some gripes, but overall the college is in a good place.
1: Uh, Yeah, from an academic standpoint, you know, we're accredited and we're in a good place. And... I think those individual issues might just need to be taken up with appropriate staff.
0: So, Bridget, I notice you have what appears to be some sort of PowerPoint presentation printed out on uh, various sheets of paper. Was that something the Higher Learning Commission used to present? Is that like their their cheat sheet, their notes?
1: Um, so the Higher Learning Commission didn't present. It was the Provost Neil. Pag yeah. Ganio, who actually is a, in charge of accreditation, so mm-hmm. he just read the report
0: throughout and, and the meeting. This presentation, I'd like to go through some of it. Is his kind of notes on the HLC's accreditation or recommendation and all that?
1: This is the HLC's like actual like quoted
0: reports. Oh, okay, so what yeah. were one or two things that you found a little interesting that was uh, that you have there in the, your notes?
1: Um, one thing I found interesting was they brought up our diversity, equity, and inclusion. At the college, and they said that it emerges from a recognition that is an essential part of a student's education. So it made it seem like at Columbia, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a part of the education, no matter what, which I thought was interesting.
0: Did they bring up uh, anything else?
1: Yeah, they talked about our library, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, They said that the webpage is like well-organized and easily accessible, and that it won an award in 2017 that was recognized as an Excellence in Academic Libraries Award from the Association of College and Research Libraries.
0: Hmm, So, library and diversity. They were really just touching on a bunch of topics in there, but I know that there was more mentioned in this Faculty Senate meeting. Is there anything else you want to touch on
1: yeah i think the last thing is that fall of 2019 the incoming students freshmen and transfers won't have to be required to take a writing intensive for their major mm-hmm. um the committee agreed on that today and i thought that was just interesting because you know writing is a core skill
0: did they happen to say if there's some sort of substitute or are they dropping like that part of the las core just altogether?
1: Um, so they didn't say anything about dropping it from LAS. More or less, it's like the, cl- the courses are still going to be required for your major. Mm-hmm. Like You're going to have to take the major course no matter what, but it's not going to have the label of writing intensive.
0: Okay, so I know at least like some courses qualified for writing intensive and this and that, so now there are just there's not that distinction like a reporting and writing too for a journalism student isn't writing intensive, it's just another course. Right. And did they give any reasoning behind that decision?
1: Um they mentioned something about it not being audited properly throughout the college and it not being checked on. Um but other than that, they didn't really discuss it.
0: So it sounds kind of like, well, writing intensive in one part is a different in writing intensive of another course, and it's kind of scattered. Is that what they were getting at?
1: It seemed like, from one comment from a senator, that they haven't been checking on it within the college, as depending on different departments. I don't exactly know how that process works, but
0: and he didn't get, uh, or he or she didn't get much more specific beyond that.
1: No, and the Senate was pretty unanimous in their vote to approve
0: it. So Bridget, I know you mentioned off the top or before we were starting, those were the two major things you wanted to talk about. But before I let you go, was there another kind of major event or thing that uh, we should know about?
1: Yeah. While this may not pertain to students exactly, for faculty, they talked about something called phased retirement. And you can find additional reporting on the Columbia Chronicle's website, um, where I'll be writing up a story later today about it.
0: And then uh, just to tease that story a bit, what is phased retirement, or at least what you know? Because I was reading over it a bit, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of a little confusing. But it it kind of sounds like older faculty are getting phased into a retirement? Is it voluntary, involuntary? Is it like something you have to do? Um, I believe it's voluntary.
1: Uh, Don't quote me on that. But the word phased, I think, uses it perfectly. Basically, it's any faculty member who's over 62 and has been at the college for 15 years. Mm -hmm. They can either choose a one to two year program where they're going to be teaching less um, and they can focus on coming out of the college so that the college can replace their spot.
0: Oh, So it's not like, oh, I'm retiring at the end of the semester and I had eight classes. Good luck filling them. It's like, I plan on retiring soon. You may want to start flipping out some of the classes with people who know what they're doing so it's a smooth transition.
1: Yeah, from uh, the people I spoke with, it seemed more like this is a way to accommodate for experienced faculty leaving so that the college isn't just left with a whole... For a couple semesters to fill their spot.
0: And again, that is an important story, but I know Faye's retirement is not the most exciting topic to talk about on the air. So you can find more reporting at columbiechronicle.com. But Bridget, I think that was everything you wanted to touch on. Is there anything else we're missing?
1: I don't think so, Blaze.
0: Okay, well, thanks for coming in. No problem. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more.
2: So this month, March, is Endometriosis Awareness Month. And Yasmeen uh, did a story this week on endometriosis. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so
3: endometriosis is a condition that affects mainly women, a very small portion of men in, like extremely rare cases. But it affects a woman's uterus um, where she begins to grow um, endometriotic Tissue outside of her uterus which results in chronic pain and cramping and I interviewed a BuzzFeed editor by the name of Laura Parker She's writing a book about her experiences with endometriosis um, How she was diagnosed and you know how this affects her Yeah, and then I also interviewed um Dr. Andrew Cook, who resides in California, Um, he is one of the top endometriosis doctors in the country. And he said that, you know, it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks or says that the pain from endometriosis is so severe that it'll bring a woman to her knees and there's no cure for it I also spoke with the creators of the endo March here in Chicago um there's endo marches all over the world but there wasn't one in Chicago and her along with a co-organizer put it together um and this is the second second annual so if anybody wants to go that go to that, that's in Oak Park Township. Great. And so how did
2: you kind of stumble across this topic? Um, were you just like randomly looking or is it kind of personal to somebody in your life?
3: Yeah. So I know women who have been misdiagnosed with endometriosis before. And when I heard the word you know my initial reaction was well what is that that's such a big word Mm -hmm. you know it sounds so serious (laughs) um so yeah um i when they were misdiagnosed i looked into it because you know this is somebody that i know personally and i wanted to look into it so um looking into it i saw how serious it actually is and how painful it is for a woman to go through this so you know, when I saw that it was March um, and endometriosis awareness month online, I immediately jumped to a story. I felt like this is a subject that not a lot, of, not a lot of people talk about or know much about. Um, I mean, even like when we pitched it in the staff meeting, like there were people who were like, oh, like, what's that? You know, and mm-hmm. that's even more of a reason why we should be doing You know we should be bringing awareness to topics like this
2: right and did you find out why they chose march as endometriosis like awareness month or was it just kind of random
3: yeah so i i personally don't know why march um but there aren't many events for it it's pretty much just the walk out that I was able to find um, which is pretty sad because this you know this condition affects 176 million women all over the world mm-hmm. so it's worldwide endometriosis awareness month but all we do is a walk for them on the last Saturday of the month right. So is it really a month or is it just a day? Mm-hmm.
2: And so what was like the main focus then of your story? Because I know you talk to like a doctor and um, somebody who like somebody from
3: BuzzFeed. Like what was like the main takeaway from your story? Yeah, so... I really wanted to write the story to promote the fact that there is a walk coming to Chicago because, you know, majority of our listeners, pretty much all of them are from Chicago. Mm -hmm. So I found the event on Eventbrite. So I looked more into it and I said, oh, well, you know, this could be written into a really good story and I want to bring awareness to endometriosis. So with contacting the event planners, I said, well, I want to interview bigger people who are raising awareness. And um, another staff reporter, um, Alexandra Yetter, actually pointed me in the direction of laura parker and that's when i started looking into her and i said wow like she's so cool like she would be a great addition to the story she knows exactly what she's talking about
2: my mission in life is truly to make sure that like at some point when i walk into a room i'm gonna be like i have endometriosis and everyone in that room is gonna be like i know what that is like they may not understand the complexities of it they may not like know what it means day to day that's fine but they're gonna hear that word and they're gonna know what the f- I'm talking about.
3: She was really excited to get back like actually be a part of the story. Um, she it took her five years to be diagnosed with um, endometriosis. I believe it was five years um, and she said that she went to and from the hospital on multiple occasions and every time she went the doctors just told her oh you're fine it's just a bad period like you'll be fine Mm -hmm. and you know when we were talking on the phone during the interview like it was almost insulting for somebody to be in that much pain and for a doctor to say like oh well that's just a bad period like basically you're being dramatic like and then you know it's usually like you know like a person who doesn't have a menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. would be like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a really bad one. Maybe you just need to take a few days to like relax. And, but no, like it's not. And then Dr. Cook, um, he's a male who resides in California. He practices in California. Um, he, He was the first person to say, as soon as I got on the phone with him, like, no matter, you know, basically what anybody says, like, this is serious. Like, this is something that really affects a woman's life. You know, like, this stops her from doing anything that she wants to do, because Mm -hmm. it's so painful and so intense.
2: Um, And you said that you knew people that were misdiagnosed. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Um, Basically, like, what kind of the timeline like when they found out they were diagnosed and how long
3: it took to like find out that they were wrong about that yeah so um the person she she had really bad like periods growing up um you know as she got older um and she started to become sexually active um she said that it was worse because most women who well, not most women. Some women who have endometriosis, they're they're unable to have penetrative sex because of how painful it is oh. for them. So, um, actually, one of the people that I interviewed for this article said the same thing, that she can't. And she wrote about it in the book, Laura Parker. And... The person who was misdiagnosed, she, you know, she kept going frequently to the doctor, something's wrong, like, this isn't normal, this isn't okay. And the doctors kind of just said, like, oh, it, it's probably endometriosis, you know, mm-hmm. which is strange because the average timeline for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis is, on average, 10 years.
2: I was going to ask, is there, like, a, kind of like an age range that usually happens?
3: Yeah, so a lot of people who start to have symptoms of endometriosis, it usually begins when they start their first period. Well, at least for most of them. Um, When I spoke with Dr. Cook, he was pretty straightforward about that, saying that, you know, it it could start off minor, or it could even start when you get older, like in your 20s. But usually it starts when a woman starts, or like a girl starts her period. Which is honestly horrible because of how young you are Mm -hmm. and you you know
2: not even possibly at that age you're not even sexually active yet and then getting diagnosed with something like that could totally change the Mm -hmm. rest of like your future so I think this is an extreme topic that, honestly, I had no idea about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's great that you wrote an article about that. And I know um, this month we also celebrate, um, it's like International Women's Day Mm -hmm. during this month. So I think that's important that it's Mm -hmm. during the same month. Um, Yeah, was there anything else that um, you kind of stumbled across that you thought was either interesting or that you didn't know
3: before well Kendall, of you said that you hadn't known about it before um you know that's there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know anything about endometriosis i personally don't know everything about it either and writing this article i was able to find out a lot more it made me actually want to go attend this walk on the last saturday of the month which i believe is march 30th and raise more awareness you know last year they said that they had about 30 guests only 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 30 yeah. people to walk. where does the walk take place yeah so it takes place in oak park township okay um so yeah they're they're looking to get more people to come out you know mm-hmm. this is the only walk in the chicagoland area um there are millions of people who suffer from this chronic condition um I, th- I think it's really important for people to be informed on this because, you know, it's not just, oh, a woman has cramps. It's this woman who may have endometriosis cannot do the normal tasks that anybody who doesn't have endometriosis may be able to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that. So I think it's important for people to say, like, you know, it's, it's a real condition. It's it's chronic. It's painful, and I myself don't have it. But the way people who have it describe it, it's it's unbearable. Right. Well,
2: hopefully your story brings more people to the walk, and then we'll start more awareness for the we- years to come. So, thank mm-hmm.
0: you. That's all for this story. But stay tuned for more.
2: R and B artist R Kelly is in a new headline due to his ex lawyer Ed Jensen. In a Sun-Times interview, Jensen said Kelly was guilty as hell in his 2008 child pornography charges, which he was found not guilty. Jensen said the reason Kelly did not get arrested for anything in Florida when he represented him was because he made Kelly go to the doctor to receive libido-killing shots, which decreases sexual desires. In the past few weeks, Kelly has been in and out of jail after being charged with 10 counts of sexual abuse in Chicago. He was not convicted, but failed to pay bail and spent a night in jail. Kelly was previously on CBS for his first public interview, where he defended his innocence.
0: Robert. Stop it, y'all! Quit playing,
1: quit playing. Robert. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me, y'all. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this. Shit. I gave y'all 30
2: years. Of my Kelly recently returned to jail March 6, over unpaid child support. Kelly's daughter spoke out against him, calling him a monster. Kelly does not have a good standing relationship with his children. You're killing
0: me, man! This is not about
3: music! I'm trying to have a relationship with my kids, and I can't do it! I just don't want to believe the truth!
0: Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus, on our website, columbiacronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the chair of the communication department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaise Mesa, Kendall Polidori, and Yasmin Chica. We'll see you all next week.